0: Hey, can we celebrate our pastors in that video? That's hilarious. They're all funny. They, uh, they I, if you notice, I didn't make the cut in that video. Um, they told me it was because of my receding hairline, um, but <laughs> it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, my name is Bryce. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm our pastoral intern, which is another way of saying the hype man. Um, and so that's why you'll see me on a stool right now. I was up here a few weeks ago with Pastor Jeff, and we both sat on stools. And someone, I forgot who it was, someone told me beforehand, uh, Bryce, we're going to put you on a stool because we're afraid that if we don't, you're going to do the church clap um, for everybody at the VBS celebration. So um, today I'm not going to do that, but I'm excited to be with you. And uh, we're actually starting something new today as a church. We started a new sermon series last week. Insert catchy title here. We heard from Jerry Kula all the way over from Africa, Liberia specifically. And um, we're starting something new as a church today. We're actually offering uh, full transcripts of every message So if if you want to go back later in the week and kind of look word for word what the message was, you can take a transcript home with you today. You can just simply write down every word that I say um, and and, and then you can take it. Thank you guys for laughing if you got that. I stole that from um, Steve Martin this week. I know him from the Pink Panther. Chad told me this week, bro, you shouldn't say that. Like he's in a hundred other movies um, that are more famous, but I love the Pink Panther. And uh, so thank you for laughing. I want to take you on a journey today, if I could. I want you to journey with me for a moment. You are in the car with your family and you are going with your extended family to Florida. And specifically in Florida, your destination is the most magical place on earth, which is, okay, somebody said universal, that's wrong. Um, it's Disney World. So you're on the way to Disney World, right? And I remember this distinctly a couple of years ago. Our family was on the way to Disney World and we kind of decided in advance which parks we wanted to go to. And one of the ones, which we hadn't been to before, was called Blizzard Beach. Now, it's one of the two water parks that they have at Disney World. Maybe you've visited before. And uh, the cool thing about Disney World is when you get there and you're on the way to your hotel. You're on the main road in Disney World and you can look to your right and your left in your car and you can see certain things that make you get excited about Disney World. For instance, you can see the castle in Magic Kingdom. You can see uh, the Hollywood Tower, which is very scary, uh, in Hollywood Studios. Well, I look to my right and I saw the largest water slide I've ever seen in my life. And apparently it's called Summit Plummet. And it's a blizzard beach. Now, summit means it's high. And plummet means you're going to die. Like, that, that's what that means. Okay, now what you need to know that I probably should have told you before is that I have a deathly fear of heights. I can't do it. Can anybody relate with that? Any fear of heights? Okay, some people may have had fear of heights. You got saved and then God took it away. That didn't happen for me. So I still have a fear of heights. And so we go to Blizzard Beach and we ride a few of the kiddie rides, if you will, and I'm vibing, I'm cool, this is great, and my cousin speaks up and he says, all right, Bryce, I think it's time. I think it's time that we go on Summit Plummet. Well, the interesting thing, some would say cool, I would say interesting thing about this ride in particular is you know how on some water slides, you go to the bottom and you go up all those stairs, you go on the ride, okay, everything's awesome. This slide took you up on like a ski resort incline just to get to the bottom of the stairs. It's like I'm riding the ski incline up and I'm like, okay, I see my house from here, okay? And we drove like seven hours. This is crazy, we're already so high and we're not even up the slide yet. So we start walking up the the stairs, right? And have you ever gotten to that point in your life where like you're 50% of the way there but it feels like you should be at the top by now? And you make the mistake of looking up and you're like, okay, I gotta go all that way. But then you make the bigger mistake of looking down and you see how far you've come. You're like, this is kind of scary the height, fear people you can relate with me. So I am excited to tell you that because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in my life, I made a crucial decision here. When I wanted to turn back, that's exactly what I did. And so I turned back, I walked down all those stairs, I took the ride of shame. Like it wasn't even just the walk of shame. And uh, all my family went, apparently it was great. I tell you that story, not just to be funny. I tell you that story because a lot of times in our life, some decisions that we make are really easy to make because it doesn't really include a lot of thought. There aren't a whole lot of reasons that would tell you not to, and it's pretty unanimous. For instance, if I have the choice and it's not Sunday, I'm going to choose Chick-fil-A over McDonald's. Like, that is a unanimous choice. I, I mean, like, I, I've been in the McDonald's drive through and they've told me, hey, you need to go to Chick-fil-A. I don't know why you're here. <laughs> there are other decisions in life that are harder to make because... There's a list of reasons, as I did in that moment, that we have given ourselves as to why we should not choose to do that thing. In my case, it was a list of reasons that inhibited me from going down a water slide. But today I want to tell you about a God who, believe it or not, has a list of reasons as to why he shouldn't keep loving his people. You see, we as sinful human beings who constantly disobey, we've given God reasons to give up on us. And yet I believe the Bible paints a really clear picture, Old and New Testaments alike. Today I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament that illustrates for us God's constant love in the midst of his people's unfaithfulness. And so I guess the only people that this message applies to are folks like myself that at some point in your life you have heard what you should do, what God says is best, and you've said, I'm going to do something else. You've turned your back on God himself. There's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates God's love for us in the midst of the times when we as people turn our backs. If you have a Bible, go with me to Hosea. It is in the Old Testament. He is one of the prophets. There's a number of different sections in the Old Testament. We're going to the prophetic section. You see, God raised up numerous different prophets throughout history that would tell his people of what was to come. Now, some of that was some not so good stuff. Other things the prophets said, which we'll see here in this passage, is a foreshadowing, if you will, to the coming of Jesus Christ, who would come and pay a price, which we'll get to later. Hosea chapter three is where we're going. And while you're going there, the words will be on the screen. While you're going there, I want to tell you a little bit about our guy, Hosea. You see, he's a prophet in, in, in the northern kingdom of Israel. At this time in history, there is a northern kingdom. That's Israel. There is a southern kingdom. That's Judah. The land itself is divided Now, Hosea was called in chapter one by God to go and marry a prostitute, that this would be an illustration to the people of Israel. That's God's purpose, it seems, behind Hosea's life. And in chapter three, we pick up after Hosea has had three children with Gomer, his wife. You know, it always cracks me up because one of his child's names is literally not loved because once again, God is trying to use every bit of Hosea's life to illustrate certain things, certain truths, principles to the people of Israel. That's where we pick up. In chapter three, God calls Hosea to do something absolutely crazy. And here's what verse one says. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though, The people have turned to other gods and love to worship. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. This shows that Israel will go a long, long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests or even idols. But afterward, The people will return and devote themselves to the Lord, their God, and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. There's a common phrase mentioned in that passage. It's two words, even though. Hosea, I want you to go love your wife again, even though she's committing adultery, because this will illustrate that the Lord still loves his people, Israel, even though. They've turned their backs and they've pursued other things, specifically idols of their own. If you're looking for a catchy title today to write in your notebook or to keep in the back of your mind, it's this. Go even though. Go even though. It took me a while to come up with one that rhymed and I found it. Go even though. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. The reality today is that every person here, you've called here on purpose for a specific purpose. Lord, we pray that you would speak powerfully through your word that has already been written. It's already true. And so I pray that we would merely apply it to our own situations and our own lives. Would you convict us? Would you shape us? Would you mold us? Would you redeem us and restore us? And would you even call us? to live the life you have invited us even today to live. We give you the honor, praise, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to give you kind of a disclaimer up front. There is a specific sin that is alluded to here in this passage. It's actually stated in verse one when God says, Hosea, go love your wife again even though she commits adultery. Now, it might sound familiar. It's a concept talked about all throughout Scripture, but specifically it originates in the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, that's one of the things God says, hey, the best way to do life includes not doing these things. And one of them is adultery. For the sake of time today, we're not going to hone in specifically on that one individual sin. Instead, what I want us to see is God uses Gomer's adultery to illustrate Israel's idolatry. And that is where we're going today. Because I believe whether we would like to admit it or not, There has come a point in each of our lives, whether in the past or whether in the present, where we have sought to follow God with everything we've got, and we decided to turn and do our own thing. For some of us, that was a long season. For others of us, that's the very season we're in right now. Regardless of where we find ourselves, I believe Israel's idolatry has some massive things to say to us today from this passage. And specifically, what I want us to all resonate with is God's love and faithfulness in the midst of his own people's unfaithfulness. You see, throughout Scripture, the history of Israel is pretty cool to read about. In the Old Testament, we see God freeing the people of Israel from slavery, for instance. He brings them from the land of Egypt through the Red Sea. You probably heard this story before, that he parted in two sides so they could go through on dry ground. He's worked miracle after miracle. He's made promise after promise with their leaders. And yet the people of Israel who have seen and heard all these things, they still choose to worship something else. The craziest story to me happens in Exodus 32 of of all this happening. You see, in Exodus 32, Moses is on Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb. Hashtag that's awesome. He's on Mount Sinai. And he's receiving instruction from God himself to then go to the bottom of the mountain, the foot of the mountain, where all the people of Israel are, to then share with them, relay to them. While Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving things from God one on one, this is what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse one. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this guy, Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, all right, we'll take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to. So all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they shouted, oh, Israel. These are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, that's mind-boggling to me. Let me get this straight. The people of God are at the foot of a mountain where God himself is speaking with their leader right up there, right on top. In fact, they can see evidence of it. And yet, while all that's taking place, The people are at the foot of the mountain, crafting something to be worshipped on their own. They choose something different. And it would be really easy, very, very easy for us to today criticize the people of Israel for doing this because of their proximity with God in that moment. Until we come to the conclusion that because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within believers our proximity with God is even closer. And yet, there are times in our life where we seek to follow God with everything we've got, and something different entices us, and we turn around and we choose that thing instead. But once again, today, as I mentioned, regardless of what that sin is in your life, maybe it's the God of lust, maybe it's the God of money, maybe it's the God of your job, maybe it's the God of work in general, maybe it's the God of sports. Whatever that thing is in your life that maybe nobody else knows about, what I want us to see is God's faithfulness even though. God's willingness to go even though. And we're gonna see that from the passage with Hosea. There's two things I wanna tell you today. Two things I believe God laid on my heart about his own love being constant in the midst of unfaithfulness. I believe that these two things can be immediately applied to our lives. And the first one is this. God's love is constant, even though people have chosen something else. Once again, this is what the Bible says in verse one of Hosea's account. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate That the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. You know, I remember a time in my life when I was younger, when I was about in middle school, I started hanging out with a certain crowd of people. Now, when you met these fellow students of mine, they, they weren't bad people or anything like that but they were themselves enticed and then enticing me into a lifestyle where my public appearance looked different than my private one. Some of us maybe resonate with that. What was happening behind closed doors was not the same thing that everybody saw. You see, what everybody saw was a smile on my face, me at Mount Horeb in church. And it wasn't until high school, which I'll get to in a few minutes, where I finally understood what was happening. And maybe there's been a time in your life or maybe it's the right now where you have been glancing at something for so long, for years on end. And it has slowly but surely enticed you to take it deeper within your life. You see, God is calling us today to make a different type of turn that many of us have made already. You see, the Bible says that repenting of our sins and saying, God, I've done things my way. I want to do things your way requires us to turn 180 degrees around from where we were going to then go a new way. But many of us have made that 180 degree turn away from God to choose something different. It's the same concept that was happening within these scriptures, within the people of Israel's hearts and communities. You know, I was at my friend Rachel's house on Friday night. She was here first service. She makes the best cheesecake I've ever had in my life. It is amazing. Ain't cheesecake fans in here? A couple, okay, great. I told her she should have brought samples, but she didn't. Anyway, I was at her house Friday night. We were having a game night with some of our friends, and she told us ahead of time she was gonna be making cheesecake. Now, I hadn't seen it. I didn't know what type of cheesecake. I just knew, hey, this is gonna be awesome when it happens. So we go, we eat lasagna. When we're done with dinner, I walk into the kitchen, and she's getting something out of her refrigerator, and my eyes fixate on the cheesecake. I see it for the first time. Now, when that happens, apparently one of my friends was like asking me a question and I didn't even hear what they were saying to me because of how consumed I was with what was about to take place. Like this amazing dessert that was right before my eyes. Now, the reason that I was extremely fixated on that cheesecake Friday night was not just because it smelled good and not just because it looked good and not just because I was ready to have dessert. The reason I was fixated on the cheesecake was because I've tasted it before. And I just wonder if some of us have spent days and weeks and months and years continuing to glance at something that now has turned into a gaze and it's turned into a fixation because over time, that's what happens one way or another. The good news is if that's us today and we've been gazing at something that's just not helpful, the Bible would call it sinful. It's not the best way to do life. It's not satisfying. If that's us today, the same principles, I believe, can be applied if we do the opposite. If we decide to turn back around and face God, maybe immediately it'll look like reading a verse a day. And then it will turn into a chapter a day. And then you'll start to lead a small group here. And slowly but surely, your glance towards God becomes a gaze and a fixation on God. And that's where I believe God intends to get his people to. The Bible tells us time and time and time again, God is seeking to get closer and closer and closer to his people to the point where now within believers, he dwells inside of people. That's mind boggling. But it also blows my mind how we so consistently, knowing all that to be true, can still turn our backs. I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. Maybe you're here today and you're kind of new to this whole Jesus thing. You're kind of exploring. What does this look like? I've heard a lot about this guy, Jesus, some of which is true, some of which isn't. I'm kind of new to this thing. And if that's you, I want to let you know that God intends to invite you today to turn in repentance. The first time ever, maybe. And say, I'm done with this old way of doing things that doesn't fulfill me anymore, even though I'm the only one who knows about it besides God. But for others of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a long, long, long time. And what we desire most is to get free from that thing that continues to entice us. And even to call others to the same thing. Today from Hosea, I believe that God is calling Hosea specifically to go and love someone again that was once close to him, even though there's a sin in the way that is separating even though there's something, there's a list of reasons as to why you shouldn't, but I'm going to go anyway. The second thing I want to tell you about God's love is that even amidst our own unfaithfulness, God's love is constant, even though there was a price to be paid. You know, it's so interesting to me in this scripture, starting in verse two, what Hosea says After he hears the initial call from God to go, he says, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. Hosea bought her back. The significant and crazy thing about this purchase is not that Hosea bought something brand new is that he bought something he already owned. That's mind-blowing. Can you imagine being in Hosea's shoes? You are a man of God that enters into a space where you shouldn't be. You're in a space looking for your wife who has gone back to who she once was. You have called her to live a greater life than she once knew, And she went back to that same old sinful habit. It sounds pretty familiar to my own ears as I'm saying it. She went back to that same old sinful habit. And yet Hosea says, God, I hear your call. I'm ready to go. I'm going to go search. So he's asking. He's trying to figure out, inquiring. Where is my wife who I still love? And he finally sees her about to get sold once again. He says, hold up one second. That's my wife. I understand that I can't just take her home. There's a price to be paid. And no matter what the price is, no matter what it costs me, whether it costs me my comfort, whether it costs me what's in my wallet, or whether it costs me my reputation, I'm willing to pay in full. And That's exactly what happens in this transaction. And yet God seems to use this illustratively, once again, to bring us to an even greater conclusion. Do you notice what he says in the last two verses? He seems to take people from drought to devotion, if you will. He says in verse four, this shows that Israel will go a long, long time without a king or a prince, without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even the idols. But then afterward, the people will return and they will devote themselves to the Lord, their God and to David's descendant, their king. You see, all along, even in the Old Testament, God is making promises. He first promises the people of Israel, listen, I'm gonna take some things away. There's gonna be a long time where you go without things you once knew. And maybe today, in order for God to get us to a point of once again devoting ourselves fully to him, God has to remove some things from the equation. I always go back to the story of Job. Maybe you're familiar with it. In the story of Job, he's a righteous man. He's a blameless man, the Bible says. And yet God begins to allow Satan to take some things out of Job's life. And when it happens, the Bible says that Job did not sin in his anger in everything he said in response. You see, God was testing Job. He was inviting Job into arguably a deeper faith. And in this passage here, God is promising there will be a time in your life where your life will look a little different. Where I will take things away from you, including the idols you have turned to and wanted to worship so badly from time to time. But then there will come a point where you will once again return and you'll devote yourself completely to worshiping the Lord and David's descendant, their king. You may remember the story in Genesis 3 where God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any other tree except this one. When you do, you'll die. And we probably all have heard the story before of how they hear the command and they disobey. From then starts a trickle down effect to the rest of humanity, human history, where every person then would be tainted with sin. They'd be under the curse and here in the Old Testament, many folks are having to make sacrifices. You'll notice that God mentioned sacrifices in verse four. They're having to make sacrifices for the sins that they have committed, hoping that they could somehow stay right with God. And God says, I've seen the misery. I've seen the frustration. I've seen the chaos. And I've even seen the unfaithfulness. And in the midst of all of it, I'm going to make a promise that one day someone will come and break the curse. I'm here to let you know all these years later that Jesus Christ has come out of the lineage of David to sacrifice himself and pay the price in full that was due for you and I sins. you see the price was very specific. It was perfection. A price that none of us could pay. And yet perfection decided willingly to take all imperfection upon himself. And the answer to the question why is simple. Because God's love is constant and is willing to go, even though. I have no idea what that thing is in your life today that you have turned to rather than God. I have no idea what it is. Maybe it's been a daily struggle. Maybe it's gone on for years, maybe even decades. And nobody else knows about it. But today I believe God wants to free you from it. And the thing that it will take is 180 degrees. That's it. To say, God, I've turned from you in the past. I've seen and I've heard of your Israelites turning from you in the past and worshiping other things. And I admit I've done that and I've come to the conclusion each time. It's not the best way. It will always leave me empty. I know there's got to be something more. In turning to God himself. I'll never forget my junior year of high school when this became real to me. You see, I grew up playing the church game and that was called out to me by three friends of mine that God had provided my junior year. They were classmates of mine. They went to some other churches here in town. And they came up to me one day randomly. They said, Bryce, you're not going to want to hear this. But we love you too much not to tell you. We think you've been absolutely fake. And you've had everybody fooled. We know there's stuff going on behind closed doors. that isn't the whole story that people see. We know that you've been playing the church game every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and even occasionally on Wednesdays. We know that there's something missing. Deeper than the surface. They were right. I didn't want to hear it. But for the next year and a half, that's what I heard through the lens of conviction rather than condemnation. And what it brought was salvation. It brought a real, true understanding of who God is, what God has done, and how it applies to my life. And since that point, I've never been the same. Every person here today either has lived that story, is living that story, or will live something similar to that story. And so the question I think God has for us today is, if we are lost, are we willing to make the turn and accept his pursuant, ever-seeking love to go even though? Maybe that's the boat you're in today. Maybe you're in that boat of feeling lost, today's the day I believe that God wants to call you found. But maybe today you've been listening. You've been hearing all this. You've read this passage before and you're following Jesus with everything you've got. Yeah, occasionally there's some glances over your shoulder at some things of the world which the devil will use to try to distract us. But you're trying to follow Jesus with everything you've got. And you've been wondering for some time now, what's next? I don't know what God's calling me to do with all of this that I now know. All of this that I now live day by day, that I've experienced personally, what am I supposed to do from here? And I think the model that God provides in these five verses is so beautiful for one reason. It's because he chooses to use a person to reach another person. How easy it would have been for God to speak to me audibly my junior year of high school and say, Bryce, I need you to stop this and turn around instead God chose to use people, as he always does, often does, to reach people. That's why a community like this is so special. That's why local church communities in general are so special. Small groups, so special. It's because God is calling someone today to reach the person in your life who will never set foot in Mount Horeb, United Methodist Church who will never accept an Easter invitation or a Christmas Eve invitation here that you give them, who will never enter into any community like this anytime soon, who wants nothing to do with this Jesus thing and who doesn't have time in their busy schedule for religion. I believe that's the person God's calling you to reach because while they won't do those things, they will accept your lunch invite. They will meet you at Starbucks. And you might even see them at your child's soccer practice this week. Maybe even at your July 4th celebration tomorrow. Chances are there's someone God has in your mind right now that he's been inviting you to go, even though there's a whole list of reasons why you should stay. As I said with Hosea, it might cost us our comfort, it might cost us our money, and it might cost us our reputation. In fact, maybe the list of reasons that that person has for not coming to a place like this is the exact same list of reasons that we have for not going to where they are. For instance, what will people think? What's the first step I should take? I don't have time in my schedule. I just wonder if maybe God today is stirring something here in your own heart, in my own heart, to go to a place or a person that we never thought we would go to because we always assumed God would send someone else. Hosea accepted the call. Moses accepted the call. David accepted the call. Jesus himself accepted the call. Today is the day of decision for someone to accept the call Maybe that's to follow Jesus for the very first time and experience new, abundant, transformational life. Or maybe for you, it's the call to help someone else experience that very thing by not inviting them to come, instead accepting the call to go. So I want to pray for you as we close, if that's okay. And as we do, would you close your eyes, bow your heads? I want to read you one more verse. This, I believe, is God's heart summed up In just a few words and it's spoken by Jesus in Luke 19 verse 10 he says the son of man came to this very earth to seek and save those who are lost the truth is God's been seeking his people who are lost it's still a present reality and he's using people like you and I to do it to the point of saving them from everything this world could offer them and the devil could distract for God. God himself, I believe, in this very moment is awaiting people to accept both his love and his call. And I want to give you a chance to do that. What I'm asking for is 10 seconds of boldness. That's it. And so today, if you are here and you feel the void that's currently pressing down on you, you know there's a God-shaped hole in your heart that you maybe you've, you've just become aware of and you've been playing the church game just like I did. And it hasn't become real. I want you to lift your hand today signifying that Jesus Christ is your everything. There's no judgment here. Nobody's looking. There's no condemnation. This is a safe place. And then secondly, today if you feel that God is clearly stirring you to go talk to that person who is currently in your mind to go, even though I want you to raise your hand today. Nobody else is looking. This is between you and God. This is signifying that God is inviting you into something more, and you have accepted the invitation. Father, we thank you for today that you have decided to show us your love and your grace by calling people to go even though. Thank you that you first modeled that for us. And it's clear to see through our lives who have accepted the good news of Jesus Christ personally. Father, we pray that this would not just be a moment in time that we soon forget, but rather it would be an altar building moment in time. This would be a life changing moment in time where on this day, today, in this very place, we accepted that you not only love us, but you're trying to use us to share your love with others. Would you call us boldly, convict us boldly, and comfort us today as we seek to follow the model you've already provided to simply go even though there's tons of reasons why we should. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We don't deserve it, but we accept it. And we give you all the honor, praise, and glory in Jesus' name, amen.